0: It's October 17th, it's 2010, and our message this morning is called Cleaner (coughs) Rivers. Uh, Cleaner Rivers. Turn with me to 2 Kings 5. I'd like to set the stage a little bit for you. Uh, I want to confess up front that my interests tend towards history, and I know that that is not where everybody's interest in the room is. But in history, I see his story played out again and again and again. Hence the examples around the room, timelines of human history and biblical events and the kind of messages that we teach so often. I have learned to absolutely love God's Word, older and newer covenants. Uh, I see no difference between them. I think that Mr. Fred did an excellent job here on Wednesday night teaching about the Word of God and the miracles of Jesus relating and being found everywhere in the Old Testament because it is one contiguous revelation. I thought that was an excellent thing. It bears witness with my spirit, and I hope it bore witness (laughs) with yours. A few weeks ago, back on the 19th, I taught a message called Sleeping with the Enemy. I don't know what's wrong with me. I've always chosen provocative titles. Maybe that's why more people listen to our messages on the internet than uh, are actually in here today. Uh, From the safety of their own home, they can see just how crazy we are. In that message, uh, Ahab was uh, the king in Israel, and Ben Hadad, the king of Aram, was attacking him. This was somewhere in the 850s BC. Uh, The reason that I'm telling you this is all of those events relate to what I'm going to share with you today. And in those events, Ahab was quite willing to give away his children, quite willing to give away his family, as long as the enemy stayed on the peripheral of his life. And my feeling as I was preaching, as the leading of the Holy Spirit was happening, I felt as if this was the church. That the church was more than willing to put up with some demonic harassment. They were more than willing to give away things that were unimportant to them and not fight for them. And God was asking a question. The point of the whole message was, who will start the battle? And in that message, Ahab was fighting with Ben-Hadad, king of Aram. And as an act of mercy to a wicked king, God said, I will grant you victory and it will come through the young men, the men who are uncorrupted, the men that have not learned to compromise yet. I will give you victory and they will start the battle. Just a few years later, because of Ahab's lack of repentance, a man named Micaiah prophesied to him, When you go into battle with Aram this time, you're going to die. Elijah had prophesied victory against Aram. They got it. A few years later, Micaiah prophesies, You're going to die in this battle. And the scripture says in Kings 22 an arrow shot at random found the joints in the king's armor. And he died. So the king lost a battle to the same people God had given him victory over earlier. Because he was unrepentant. Because he was selfish. Because he did not go through a kind of process that we will cover this morning. As I set the stage, we're no longer in the 850s B.C. We're now in the 840s B.C. We're about a decade later. This is a story that has to do with successors. Sometimes you can tell about fruit in a ministry based on the second generation more than the first. If you really want to see a doctrine tested well... It's not did it work in the one man's life. It's did that doctrine as carried out and taught through the generations continue to produce the same fruit? Or did it begin to have a foul odor? Well, Elijah had a successor. Who was Elijah's successor? <laughs> Elijah. Elisha. Elisha if you prefer. <laughs> I don't prefer. Elisha. <laughs> There was a successor to Ahab. His name was Joram. I mean, there was a one-year interim in between there where there was another guy who didn't make it long, but Joram was the next major king. There was a successor to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram. This is a real stretch. See if any of you know this. Watch. Ben-Hadad II. Isn't that a great name for a successor? (laughs) Ben-Hadad II. I mean, that won't be hard to remember. A story of successors. In the second generation, what will happen? In the second generation, what is God teaching us? It is a great thing to look and see Charles Finney did amazing things for God. But was his Bible any bigger than yours? Were the promises of God in his life any bigger than yours? Leonard Ravenhill was fond of saying, the problem with the church is they would like to be raptured from responsibility. We are fine with reverencing men of God that have gone before us, but we are not fine seeing ourselves in the same light as those men of God and expecting similar actions. Jesus spoke to the progenitory that would come through the faith from His birthing of salvation and said, you will do greater things than I did. So then the question becomes, is there a lie in the Word of God? Is there then, uh, not a lie, but is there a problem with God? Is He unable to do what He said? No. Then where must the problem lie? It must lie with us. And as I began to examine that, I was drawn to 2 Kings 5. So pick up with me there in the first verse. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. Naaman is the chief general of Ben-Hadab II. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. That's an interesting statement. When you read your footnotes, as some of you may be wrestling quickly to do, uh, many people say, well, you know, Aram fought with Assyria. I know it's not recorded in the Bible, but perhaps the Lord gave name and victory over Assyria because they were some kinds of enemies. But when you look to the left in your Bible and you work your way backwards, the very last battle that you have Aram in is with Israel. And who are we dealing with today? Aram and Israel. So if you just had to guess through these stories... What battle we may be talking about. Perhaps we've now found a name for the nameless soldier who shot an arrow at random, but the Lord guided the arrow to give a ram victory through Naaman. Are you tracking with me here? Yes. How famous would you be? I mean, in our day, maybe Saddam Hussein is somebody who was caught. Caught hiding like a rat in a hole. He fell into the same pit that he had dug for others in his life as the Proverbs I said, the soldier most people won't know his name. And why not? Because he delivered him to justice and justice has no name. You probably don't know the name of the man who put him to death. You don't know those things. However, if that soldier uh, ended his life, ended Saddam Hussein's life, right then and there, and that was the headline. If he was like David and he appeared before the nations holding the head of an enemy of God. Would you remember his name? Probably so. I suspect Naaman's reputation was built on something the Lord did through him. And I want you to examine this for a moment as we think about the Lord building a reputation in him. Whether or not you agree with me that it was Naaman that shot the arrow is beside the point. How are victories won? You know, the Proverbs teach us, Proverbs 21, 31, that the horse is made ready for the day of battle, that victory belongs to the Lord. Was it the marksmanship of a man who shot an arrow at random into a crowd? Was it his superior skill as a warrior that gave him this ability? Whatever you have in your life, friends, whatever is there, whether it is wealth that you've amassed, reputation that you've amassed, strength that you have lifted to build. You have nothing except what the Lord gave you. The sooner we recognize this, the sooner we can deal with the greater topic in our lives, which is a fear of loss. If you have nothing except what the Lord has given you, why are you worried to lose anything that the Lord may strip from you? Wow, well, we'll get there in a minute. Something that is interesting is that this man is considered a great man, but it was the Lord who did it. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy.
1: Hmm.
0: Isn't this kind of all of our stories? Isn't this kind of where everybody stands? You have good qualities. God has said good things about you, but you may also have this one area that is eating away and it usually dwells in the flesh trying to rob you of what God has called you to be. Then the question becomes, why would God allow something like this in my life? Why would God allow something like this? Well, let me ask, would we be reading about Naaman if he had no leprosy? Would you love Paul if he never had been imprisoned, beaten, or shipwrecked, or (coughs) snagged? Would you know who Joseph was if his brothers had not sold him into slavery? What an interesting concept. Lord, raise (laughs) the dead, open the blind eyes, but don't allow any of us to die or go blind. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: See, we have fallen into a trap in America. We want all of the blessings, but none of the road of suffering that it takes to get there. We want the golden crown, but we do not want to wear the crown of thorns. Let someone else suffer. Let us be the rescuer. He was a valiant soldier, but he had (coughs) leprosy. An amazing man who had a terrible ailment. As we talk about him this morning, you could think of him as a general in the army of Aram. If that's hard for you to say, you may just think of him as a Syrian general. But what I would prefer for you to do is put yourself in his shoes. Can we all agree that the people in this room have valiant qualities, but also may have some things in their life that you would rather keep hidden? Ladies, why did you wear the makeup that you're wearing this morning? Why? Well, I want to look my best. Isn't that just another way to say I don't want to look a certain way? Are you horrified when somebody catches a photo of you and you weren't prepared for it?
1: <laughs>
0: Guys, is your world different if somebody shapes your head?
1: Do
0: the clothes make the man? See, these are great questions. We live in a society that views the outside of a jar without considering what is inside of it. You might even elect one as president. I'm in of your neighborhood associations. (laughs) (laughs) And not just in one generation. We might do it again and again and again. And it might cross party lines. It might cross socio-geographic lines it might cross economic lines there may just be a human tendency to view the outside of a cup without considering its contents and it's no different when you look in the mirror I've often heard this thing quoted and it's a quote from Watchman Nee and uh, it is usually quoted from way up here to someone way down there and it says when looking at authority You should never view the man, only the authority vested in the man. And this is a way usually in context for a leader to say, I am up here, but you shouldn't see me. You should see God from your vantage point way down there. Do whatever I say and excuse all of my flaws, all of my weaknesses, because God is speaking through me. There is some validity to this point. If you want to see the absurdity of it, stretch it to its papal limits, and you will find it. When I heard that quote from Nee, my mind went in a different direction. When you were staring in the mirror, do you see the man or the authority that was invested in the man? Do you see the outside of your container, or do you see what God has invested in you? Because a man that has truly met authority will see what God has put in him, not The flesh that encases it. Come on, friends, this is a powerful lesson that we could all learn. I think as we read about Naaman this morning, we will find something out about ourselves. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but had leprosy. Now, bands from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of leprosy. <laughs> what an amazing woman of God. You don't even know her name. But although she was taken in captivity as a slave through a nation that she's supposed to have a peace treaty with, she still cares for her captain. Come on, friends, you should hear this. There are no victims in Christ. Period. There are no victims in Christ. If you are in Christ, you are not a hypochondriac. If you are in Christ, you are not a victim of society. If you are in Christ, you cannot be a victim because you are in Christ. And He is no victim. If you've laid down your life willingly, no one can take it from you. If your outer man is not what your life is about, it doesn't matter what has been done to the outer man. Every situation God puts you in is for your best because you believe, Romans 8.28, you believe that in all things, God works together for the good of those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. Says, this is an often quoted scripture, but it is very poorly lived out. If you believe that everything that comes your way is being used by God to shape you, then everything that comes your way is the very best for you. But you don't understand, Eric. You don't know the bad things that have happened to me. Have you read your Bible?
1: <laughs>
0: Friends, it's full of rape. It is full of warfare. It is full of drunkenness. It is full of every kind of sin that exists on the planet today. We've just found electronic ways to do it. And God uses every one of those situations to bring glory to his name somehow. The question is not does the glory of the Lord fill the earth. The prophets already have declared that it does. The question is do your eyes perceive it? I want to tell you, you've made yourself a victim if when you look in the mirror what you see is the man and not what's invested in the man, you are deceived. And you are unable to fulfill what God has called on your life because you still need to be born into the new life. If the kingdom has not made its way from your heart into the expression of your life, then I would suggest there's still much more kingdom to be had in your life. Now, I didn't come here to beat you up today. You could hear that and with the victim's mentality say, Pastor is saying I'm not what I should be. Or you could say, Pastor is telling me I can be more than I am. I tell you, your response to things like this will be a witness for you on judgment day. Because Revelation 14 says, Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on, for their deeds will follow them in eternity. What will your deeds say about your life? When you looked in the mirror, Remember Jesus' words. The flesh counts for nothing. What do you think all the stories about five loaves and two fishes are about? Little boys and great big giants. Small armies and big armies. What is it about? It is trying to get you to look past the limited nature of your resources. Physical or otherwise. And see that God is looking for willing vessels to work through. If Naaman did not have a weakness, you would not know his name. Now Bans from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Amram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel, who is Joram by the way, read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me.
1: When Elisha, the
0: man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and you will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elijah's house. I want you to examine for a moment Naaman's method of finding a cure. Because Naaman's method is the world's method and sadly speaking, it has often been our method. The very first thing that he does is go seek out the greatest person in his land. His king. I mean because whoever has authority, reputation, beauty, whoever's got the best programs, the most butts and seats, that must be where the power is found. He goes to seek greatness to be healed. You ever seen somebody get sick, spend all of their money traveling around the world for the very best doctors? If that doesn't work, they travel all around the world to the biggest healing movements. Why? Why? Is the God who is healing in China not the same God that is healing in this storefront church? Is it really about the grandeur of our setting? What does it say About us, that if it's distant, if it's far, if it's big, if it's a new altar like the one that Ahaz found in Syria, that it must be better. What does it say about us? Is our method of cure to go seek greatness? What did he do next? He packed as much human effort in as possible 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of this. Ten sets of clothing. You biblical students out there will recognize ten as the number of human government. This speaks of cramming as much of himself into this as is possible. What is six the number of? Sin and man. If our efforts to be right with God, to be healed of our leprosy, to be healed of hidden things revolve around seeking the greatest and looking great while we do it and making sure that everybody knows. Have you ever heard a testimony that goes like this? Cody got healed. He got healed when I prayed for him. I fasted and I fasted and I walked uphill two directions and there was a bobcat on my back and snow under my feet and the sun was beating down upon my bald head. But I persevered and he stands before you healed. I've heard a lot that go that way. In my experience, this is not how healing
1: works.
0: (laughs) It works when everybody is at the absolute end of their road. And it is clear that there was nothing of man in it at all. For this reason, he often uses people that more resemble court jesters than resemble mighty men of God. They may not know what day of the week it is, but they learn to depend upon Him. This is important, saints. It's important. What else did he do? How did he show up at Elijah's house? Did he show up just begging for help? He showed up with chariots and horses. Friends, why would you bring the ancient equivalent of a tank? Why would you bring cavalry if what you're going for is to see God? This is when you pull up in the car that everybody wants and you park it at the front door. This is when you make sure that the designer labels on all of your clothes are evident to everyone. Come on, ladies. Can you believe she is wearing that? Hmm? This is when you make sure that they know you're not just a nobody. I mean, you're somebody. How many young men have you ever heard, if that dude knew who he was messing with, what? An arrogant seventeen year old who is about to get squashed? <laughs> if they just knew who they were dealing with. I was in a church service one time where a demon standing inside of a human being stood up and said, Lord, show them, for if they knew who I was, for I am Michael, the archangel. I said, Come on, Michael, let's go have a talk out back. It is the spirit of the world that is showing in glory. It is the Spirit of Christ that points all glory to the Father. Amen. This man has showed up in the typical way the world does, with letters from a great king, with as much human effort, gold, silver, clothes, as he possibly can bring. He's shown up in full glory with all of his armaments, cavalry, and letters. <coughs> By the way, why could the King of Israel do nothing for him? The king of Israel could do nothing for him because he occupied a position, but he did not let that position's power and authority occupy Mm
1: him.
0: Are you a Christian? Yeah, man, I was was, was raised in the church. When (laughs) were you born again? Yeah, a few years ago, you know, I got serious about Jesus. Yeah, I can tell. Who is the comedian? You look like a man, but you're not a man. See, in Christianity, you can tell who has a position in God's kingdom because the authority of that position fills their life. It doesn't matter what a name tag says. I just got back from visiting the Southerlands in Austin. Any situation you put Wade in, any situation you put him in, he's authentically Wade.
1: <laughs> who else would he be?
0: <laughs> this is God's authority working through his life. So he is always working the same kind of scenarios. And you know what? He's exceedingly good at being who God has called him to be. He was teasing me because we read at a Chick-fil-A. And the last time he and I were at a Chick-fil-A together, there was a small confrontation with a lost man. He said, Eric, everywhere you go, this happens. I said, wait, you're being authentically you. I'm being authentically me, and this is how God has used us. One manages a fire, another starts one. <laughs> but God makes it grow. <laughs> All right, back to Naaman. He shows up with the kind of cure that men want and look for. I love Elisha's response because this is God's process. God's process is the exact identical opposite. That's not really a good phrase. is it? exact identical opposite. It's the same difference. God's process is man's in reverse. And isn't that just like God? Whatever comes naturally to you, we need to do the opposite because your natural nature is of the devil. Verse 10, Elijah sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself. Now wait a minute. Naaman wanted to go seek out greatness. What did Elijah do? Elijah sent the lowest person in his house. Right? Couldn't find it at the king of Israel. The prophet does not even come out to him. The man who wants to seek greatness, what will God do to him? He'll put you in the lowest, most humbling situation you can possibly find yourself in. If your life's ambitions to have a worldwide ministry, God might make sure that you never get out of a two-square-foot area. If your life's ambition is to be something that is great, God might make sure that you're a failure in everyone's eyes. This is how He adjusts our ambitions. Because where you find selfish ambition, you find every evil practice. So this man wants greatness. So what does God do? He sends him a messenger. Lo, Elijah sent a messenger to to him. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. He didn't just want to seek greatness. He wanted as much human effort as he could possibly get in it. And since he's now not being met with greatness, he's hoping that he has to climb Mount Kilimanjaro to get healed so that he can go back and say, it was when I walked two ways uphill to school with a bobcat on my back and glass under my feet that I got healed. What are all of those testimonies saying, whether you've heard them in church or not? Me! 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 I'm great! How great Thou art! (laughs) I want to confess. I've known lots of people that have seen amazing visions. Lots of people that prophesied amazingly. It was not necessarily a sign of maturity in the Christian walk. A lot of them are not serving Jesus today. We sang a song in worship today. The very first time I was in a charismatic on fire spirit filled meeting, the man was there that wrote that song. But he does not love or serve Jesus today. So then we can see gifting is not a sign of maturity. The fact that Naaman was a valiant soldier, that God had used him, did not mean that he was mature in any way, shape, or form. You know who didn't know that? Naaman. You never know when you're deceived, do you? You ever talked with a drunk about driving? I won't ask you if you've ever been that drunk.
1: <laughs> no man, I'm good!
0: No, I'm spry as the morning breeze. You know? <laughs> I got a relative that I used to watch drive his Harley home, you know. I could see him coming down the street because he kept passing up my house, couldn't remember where he was. <laughs> <laughs> Looked like a figure eight. I thought, damn, did did, did the road develop turns in it overnight? or no? No, he's staggering. Hey, man, you're drunk. You're going to hurt somebody. No, I'm great. I've been doing this all my life. Yeah, but you know, as silly as that is, you get the same response spiritually speaking.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. No, no, I know God's with me. Why? Well, because I'm me. Is that good enough, friends? What if your armor is hiding leprosy? What if your armor is hiding leprosy? How do you get cured? Well, it starts with humbling yourself. Maybe you could take the least in the assembly and let him judge your life. Well, if nobody can correct you, you'll have a hard time. You'll have a very hard time in life.
1: There's not one person in your life that can bring you correction. Who will
0: point out that person? We already saw the king of Israel couldn't do it. Who did God send to do it? A messenger. Right? A courier. So is God's method always to bring great men to other great men? In fact, he uses nameless prophets a lot for a reason. Elijah sent a messenger to him to say, go wash (coughs) yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you'll be cleansed. Did Elijah give him a good word? What did he want? Why did he come? Mm -hmm. Ostensibly, why did he come to Israel? To be healed. What was he just told how to get? Healed. Healed. So there should be elation and joy and there should be... I don't even need to spend my silver gold. I didn't need to call on the high connections. The Lord loves me enough that it is a simple thing to be healed. Is that his reaction? See, his reaction shows where his heart was. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and his hand and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. I wanted it to be done in a great and astounding fashion. Everyone would know my name. Wow. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any waters of Israel? Well, if they are, my friend, what are you doing in Israel? Right. See, this, this, this Naaman-like spirit has crept its way. The, the, I, I'll get down here around the whole pit. <laughs> so nobody gets so angry at me. It has crept its way even into this room. We come to Jesus because we want to be healed. But we do not embrace His method of healing. We only want Him to heal us on our terms and in our way. We want to make sure that it's not too degrading. We want to make sure that it doesn't hurt too bad. We want to make sure that we get in our way. Well, there's a Burger King down the street. they will give it to you your way because they are fee for service. Jesus is not fee for service. Jesus has already required of you to sell everything you have. So when you come to Him, you come empty-handed. Let's be clear, you have nothing of worth for Him. Let's be absolutely clear, you are all part of the same disease stuff when you walk through His door any worth that you have, any reputation that you have, any achievements that you have, you know how they have gotten to you? Through Him. So let us alleviate ourselves of the fear of what He may do to us, or through us, or for us, or in us. Let us alleviate ourselves of this because we are dead men that He has caused to rise to life. Naaman is about to get that lesson. Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. You know, isn't it amazing how many times people are willing to leave in a rage, but in what way else is he leaving? With leprosy. Yeah. Let me ask you, is it better to be mad with leprosy or to be humble than be cured? No. Then why have you so many times in your life chosen rage and leprosy yeah. over humility and cure? Well, I have it. Oh, come on, pick up the mirror that is God's Word. Ask Him to reveal it in your life. I think that any Christian who wrestles with this kind of concept will quickly come to the conclusion they are the biggest obstacle to God moving in their own lives. Mm -hmm. Let's be very clear. I'm not speaking about a church somewhere else. I'm talking about you. And I'm talking about me. Because Naaman's story is our story. It is as simple as doing what God says when He says to do it. But how often have we made it much more complicated than that? How often have we been angry when He didn't do what we wanted when we wanted it? How often have we slandered, murdered, competed with others when we didn't stack up the way that we wanted to these are the marks of Naaman's cure. Naaman's cure, just so that we're clear, exacerbates leprosy. It, it makes it worse. It just provides more flesh like fuel for leprosy to grow. God's cure, however, puts an end to your flesh. It breaks the outer man so that something inside can be revealed. And what is inside begins to work its way out Naaman's servants went to him. Again, not Naaman's king, not the king of Israel, who? Naaman's, Naaman's servants, Israel. those under his own authority. The least went to him. My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored, and he became clean like that of a young man boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. Naaman has gotten the revelation that we haven't gotten all of the leprosy out of him. His skin is cured, but his heart is still in process. You can be saved, friends, but still need to be working Egypt out of every square inch of your life. He wants to give a gift. Why? The entire thing was predicated upon it not having anything to do with him. So the prophet will not receive that gift. I will not accept a thing, was the word he said. And he refused him. I don't want to teach the rest of this story because I have others to get to. But I want to tell you, before Naaman leaves, he knows that his king hasn't gotten him anything. His wealth hasn't gotten him anything. His great effort and reputation haven't gotten him anything submitting to God's plan and purpose for his life have gotten him everything that he has. Yeah. Should I really have to teach anymore or
1: would that preach enough for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't have anything that will get you anywhere
0: with God. But when you are where he says to be, when he says to be there, doing what he says to do, you get everywhere with God. Sure. This man got a beauty treatment. It's better than a facelift. He got baby skin. I bet he got it on his heart as well. Hmm. <coughs> Listen to this word. Actually, maybe before I read this word, we could ask you a question. I like when congregations talk. It is a fearful thing for me to be with... Uh, stiff white Indo-Europeans who cannot even agree out loud. I have much more fun in every country of the world, and even other places in our city, where people actually can respond, and there's life in it, and they don't view their role in church as sitting and soaking, but <coughs> more as participating in something that God is doing. So when I ask you a question, I hope someone will be bold enough to answer, what is the best thing that ever happened to Naaman? Was it his victories? Was it his reputation? What was the best thing that ever happened to Naaman? His The best thing that ever happened to Naaman is something that all human beings would fear. Nobody would ever welcome. Nobody would ever want it. Nobody would ever pray for it or ask for it. But it was the best thing that ever happened in his life. So then listen with new ears to this verse. I'll tell you where it is after I read it. That way you're not busying yourself turning here. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Friends, there's a great big deficit in our lives if we do not experience suffering, if we do not experience struggle, and if we do not experience hardship. We never get the leprosy cured. America is as leprous as any nation on the planet. And its self-sufficiency great wealth, have hidden it well. And when we do want cures, we want cures Naaman's style. We don't want cures God's style. The only way to get anywhere with God is outlined in Philippians 2. The path of Jesus. You lower yourself. Become a servant of all men to the point where you are literally crucified for the King of the universe and then He will exalt you. You don't need to be right. You don't need to be thought well of. The Bible actually says, Woe to you when all men think well of you. Samson's own brothers and sisters tried to tie him up. So why are you surprised when you catch friendly fire in the church? Right. Or oh, did y'all think we were talking about the way the world would treat you? <laughs> seems as if some of the world has crept into the church. But not you, right? Not me. Or has it? And maybe messages like this, when we dwell on them, can show us how to let Jesus be formed in us by part that received out of us. Mm-hmm. How about this scripture? This is a good one. By the way, that last one is James 1, 2 through 5. It also happens to be on the wall in the back of the church. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says this Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. In other words, there is a path that starts with suffering and trial and then ends in maturity. It ends in the fullness of the hope being born in you. So is it strange then when some of us face cancer? Is it strange then when some of us face bone or joint disease? Is it strange when some of us face economic woes? Is it strange when some of us cannot get our relationships right? Is it strange when we face trials of every kind? No. No, it's not strange at all. It's God's best for you. I know that's not what you read in popular novels. But how is it God's best for you? It's the beginning of His maturing you. It's the beginning of Him humbling you to dependency upon Him instead of self-sufficiency. It is the beginning of knowing what it is to fear God and be holy at His mercy. And when I say holy, I mean it with the W and the H. Holy at His mercy. Turn with me to Mark 14. There. 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 In Mark there. 14, I'd like to start with you with the third verse. You can read this in all of the Gospels, although in John's Gospel it's in a little different order and... You have to do some work and put it together. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon, the, well, well, good things can happen in leprous situations. Come on, saints, that's worth thinking about. Good things can happen in leprous situations. I have situations in my heart where I'm grieved over brother's actions, and brother's actions are grieved over mine. We've left the altar. We've tried to resolve it. Left the altar. Tried to resolve it. It's a leper situation. You know what that means. Good things are going to happen. It's just a matter of time. God is carving out all those things that should not be there. He's maturing us. He is setting us towards perseverance. Maturing us so that His hope can fill our hearts. This is not a reason for discouragement. Whatever you face today is God's best for you. His highest purpose for you that day because he's working in all things. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in a home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. You know, I went to Israel in 1997 and one of the things that I wanted to find in a Galilean gift shop was alabaster jar. It's almost as if I misunderstood the point of the star- story. Story. On the wall where I found these little jars, it said alabaster jars, and it listed the scripture. Boy, what a pretty jar. I brought one back. And I'll tell you, when you scratch it, it's kind of fragrant. It's soft stone so that it could be molded. It's beautiful. didn't <laughs> no matter what kind of jar. The annoying oil came out? Was the jar the point of the story? But we have a fine way of making the outer garment the point of the story, don't we? We have a fine way of focusing on that which can be seen and ignoring that which is unseen. What did you have to do to this jar before Jesus could be anointed with oil and he declares something? What she has done is a beautiful thing. You had to break it, friends. Your jar, your container, is no different. It must be broken before the Lord. Before the Lord, will call it beautiful. If the jar isn't broken, oil cannot flow. Come on. If the jar isn't broken, oil cannot flow. Our God will not abide with your flesh. Your flesh must be broken so that His Spirit can flow. If the jar wasn't broken, the jar remains the focal point of the story. If you are not broken, then you are the hero of the story and God will not tolerate idolatry. If the jar isn't broken, it is not beautiful to Jesus. This is how we rejoice when we suffer. It's the breaking of the jar so that the oil can cook. It's the breaking of the jar so that the focus is not upon man, but upon what God is accomplishing in man. This is why we rejoice because it is a beautiful thing to Jesus. Have one sense. Does that minister to a yes. person in the room?
1: Yes.
0: Currently, Psalm 105. Are y'all scripture weary already? There. No. 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 Psalm 105. Verse 8 He remembers His covenant forever The word He commanded for a thousand generations The covenant He made with Abraham The oath He swore to Isaac He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree to Israel An everlasting covenant To you I give the land of Canaan As the portion you will inherit it When they were but few in number, few indeed, and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. He allowed no one to oppress them for their sake. He rebuked kings. Do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. Before we read this next verse, there's a time period in our life where we are rescued by Jesus and you need to be rescued from everything that ever oppressed you. You need to know that your daddy, your big brother, is standing between you and the enemy. He's a pillar of fire between you and the enemy. And this creates intimacy. Security always creates intimacy. So that you will be pliable in His hands. See, I have protected you. See, I have set you apart. See, I have let nothing ravage you. Now be pliable in My hands. you know what the Jews refer to Egypt as? You find it throughout the Scripture. You just have to look. The furnace. Why is it the furnace? Because this is where the nation was pounded, beat, and formed into a nation. And it was birthed as the nation. The baby crowned going through the Red Sea. Water breaking. Everything that is born of God is born out of adversity. Where are your brothers born? In adversity. So why do we run from it? Well, because we are trying to abort what God is trying to birth in our lives. We want a cleaner river. We want something easier. Something with a little more glory in it. Have you ever been in a church where they yell, Glory! <laughs> I love it. But the question is glory for who? For you or Him? Because that's always the choice. You or Him? Glory for Him or glory for you? Which is it? Because he will not share it. Does Jesus make up the majority of your lives? Or is Jesus your life? Is Jesus a possession of yours? Like a nice house, nice car. A right way to live. Or is Jesus your very life? Mm -hmm. See, these are the questions you begin to wrestle with when you or asked to do something you don't want to do. And when you do what you don't want to do for Jesus, that's what we call obedience. When you do what you want to do for Jesus, I mean, it's Him telling you to do it? Oh, you could still call it obedience. But who praises a servant in that situation? You praise the servant for being obedient even when they didn't want to be. Because they love you. You have their best interest. He called down famine on the land and destroyed all their supplies of food. When God wanted Israel to go into Egypt, what did He do? He created a famine. You mean God will cause suffering to work in His kingdom? Yes. Absolutely, He, would. he will use any tool at His disposal. He called down famine on the land and He destroyed all their supplies of food. And He sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. If you don't find that Scripture remarkable, you have not thought through this. He sent someone before the rest of Israel. And he was sold as a slave. Come on, you know the story. How did he get sold as a slave? Who did it to him? His brothers! His brothers brothers sinned, and God says in the Psalms that it was God who sent him there. He used their sin to avail Joseph into Egypt. Why would God want somebody in slavery? Why would God allow a man to be mistreated by his brothers? Are you
1: serious?
0: (laughs) You must be a slave before you can be a savior. You must die before you can give life. The jar Mm -hmm. must be broken before the oil will flow. Come on, are you with me? Mm -hmm. Do you think Joseph got discouraged? Many years, he was 17 when this happened. He was in his 30s when he became king think he got discouraged? Do you think maybe he thought of cleaner rivers? Mm -hmm. Friends, there's only one river and it's the river of God's presence. Turn with me to Genesis 50. I learn some neat principles here. In Genesis 50, slide down to verse 19. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You mean you could look at your brothers who sinned against you, sold you into slavery, caused you to be falsely accused of rape, forgotten about in a foreign jail. So God has used this for good. Yes, this is just like the New Testament imperative that says rejoice in your suffering. It will produce in you maturity. Does he sound like Jesus when he's forgiving someone saying God's using it for good? Isn't that the goal? To sound like Jesus? To look like Jesus? To live like Jesus? So, but you don't understand it was injustice. Yes, and you've been a part of a lot of injustice in your life. God will use it for good anyway. Our God's like DD7. He'll go into that polluted water and make it clean. Or oxy clean, I guess, in this generation. <laughs> I don't think Billy's talking about that anymore. Anyway. <laughs> I want to talk to you for a second about 1 Peter 5. This is verse 9. Don't turn there. I want you to hear what it says. Resist Him, standing firm in the faith, Because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. And the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered for a little while will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To Him be power forever and ever. Amen. I want to talk to you about solidarity and suffering first anybody that has ever had a very specific ailment that was overwhelming and meets someone else with that same ailment, immediately has a bond. Any group of people that have ever been oppressed, I had so much fun with with, uh, my Indian friends I'll tell you why. They're way over this because they're they're seriously in love with the Lord. But the United Kingdom, at the time the British Empire, basically enslaved the nation. Uh, I mean, you can call it colonialism, but You know, it's the kind of thing people fight against. And if you win the war, you win your freedom. So I would call it slavery. And uh, I said, you know, we got something in common, you and me. And uh, we're laughing. And uh, he said, what? What is it? I said, we both got sick of the British and threw them out of our countries. (laughs) (laughs) There was an immediate bond. And it was a joke. I mean, it was clearly a joke.
1: but
0: there was an immediate bond. There is a solidarity that comes from knowing your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same thing because brothers are born in adversity. There is another art. If you call that the art of solidarity, I would say there's another art in suffering. What was happening to Joseph during this time? During this time, Joseph is being slandered, imprisoned, horrible difficulties in his life rejected by his loved ones. Something else has happened. If you walk down a hospital hallway and you look in to the terminally ill, they're not laying there wishing that they had more plastic surgery. They're not standing there wishing they would made more money in their lives. Joseph's time in Egypt had a kind of artwork to it. It eliminated superfluous and extraneous things from his life, like the need to be right need to be somebody. In fact, I bet by the end of it, he had it boiled down to, I just want Jesus to be pleased with me. Except in his day, he would have simply called him downright. See, when you walk by a hospital bed, you find people doing something, either growing more bitter, or trying to get right with God and man, which is the heart of the gospel. Suffering has a way of eliminating from you things that don't belong. The artist Michelangelo once said about a column of rock, actually marble. David was always in it. He was just waiting to be released. Mm Come on, what are you? That things just need to be eliminated from your life so that your beauty can be released. Mm -hmm. Because our God is a master artist. And suffering is one of His many tools. Mm -hmm. What are you? In the book that I showed you earlier, Rob Bell's book, He gives bars of soap to his friends who are sculptors. And out of the very same bars of soap, one carves a bird, another carves a human face, another carves links in a chain. It is all amazing things. None of them ever added to the bar of soap the only eliminated things that did not belong. What kind of leprosy is God trying to wash away from us and we're just looking for cleaner rivers, easier paths, softer beds? I'm telling you, embrace where you are in life. It's a beautiful place to be. I'm telling you that if a Chinese man in 1947 can write those words, I'll read them to you. That way you don't think I'm making it up. 1947, he's in a communist prison. When the Lord opens our eyes, we will see that everything that has happened to us throughout our lives is meaningful. The Lord never does anything in vain. What you are facing every day is His highest good for your life. The Lord has arranged everything for us for a single purpose. Breaking the outer man that what is pure and beautiful might be revealed. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, are you really living God's best for your life? Since that seems to be what sells books these days. Because I would say God's best in your life is embracing the good, the bad, and the ugly and letting it drive you towards Him and Him's world. There's something else from something else from Joseph's life that I think is worth commenting on. If you'll turn with me, this is Genesis 41. It's the 52nd verse. Please don't be distracted about this. I'm going to wait for you to get there. 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 Joseph is in a place where he is now the Savior of the known world. And I want you to hear how he names his children. (coughs) The second son, this is Genesis 41-52, the second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Come on, friends. Who could not hear from the king of the universe about the need to be fruitful in the land of your suffering? By the way, his first son was Manasseh. God has made me forget. Isn't that interesting? To be healed of the Lord, something needs to be revealed. You need to forget the people that have wronged you. Not forget them, but the offense then you need to learn to let it make you fruitful.
1: Amen.
0: In Joseph's children and his fruit, we see how God caused him to succeed. He forgot the wrongs done to him. He embraced it as God's work in his life. And he considered it being made fruitful. Tell me the apostles are different. They catch a beating in front of the whole world. They leave rejoicing that they were able to suffer for the name My last scripture for you comes from Deuteronomy 4.20 and I won't lie. You know, you you can trust me. But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron-smelting earth, out of Egypt, to be the people of His inheritance as you are now. If you have not been in the fire of Egypt, if you don't know what it is to be hard-pressed on every side, you don't know what it is to be the 2 Corinthians 4-7 earthen vessel with God's treasure inside you, then I invite you to embrace that area of your life because we don't need more earthen vessels. We need more vessels that are broken enough to see what's inside them. Amen. Mm-hmm. There is a particular soul, and it's Psalm 46. And it says there is a river that makes glad the people of God there is a river whose streams make glad the people of God if you pay careful attention to every verse before it and every verse after it they are in the midst of suffering but they have learned to be content with God's process in their life because it is making them just like me I want you to stand to your feet we're going to worship just a little bit You can file out anytime you want But I'd like you to think about Are you embracing the river God has for you or are you looking for cleaner rivers Are you baptizing yourself In the dirtiness of the cross The ugliness Of the sacrifice of Jesus Is it before your face so that you know what's expected of you? Or have you cleaned this whole thing up and you're just baptizing yourself in the river of blessing? (laughs) What a great question. As we worship, you do whatever you need to do. We don't have a plan at this point. We just want the Holy Ghost to do in His people what He wants. I desire to see the lost saved. I desire to see you and me healthy. I see God's kingdom in vain. And we can't do it covered in that person.
1: Amen. (laughs)
0: Some of you with all of your heart want to embrace exactly what we're talking about. Others just don't really know what to do. I want to encourage you not to live your life isolated, but to plunge yourself into God's river. To learn what it is to be in fellowship with the saints. Have other people that speak into your life and help direct you and to be that person for other people. Mighty God, Lord, even as their hands are joined now, Lord, I pray that not one would stand alone. But since we all share the same condition, that there would be solidarity, Lord God, a unity. Holy One, we ask that you would cause our heart to embrace your art of elimination, that you would carve out of us things that don't belong. We want your river to flow, mighty God, in our lives. You are all that matters. You are all that matters. Holy One, we yield to you. We yield to you this moment. Saints, let that be your prayer. We yield to you. Lord, heal us. And set us free to go bring healing to the nations, starting with our neighbors. Lord, put upon these people's hearts faces and names of people they can contact this week and tell about your goodness. Lord, where repentance needs to occur, let repentance happen. Lord, grant it to them. Grant it to me. Lord, that we would no longer be deceived, but we would walk in your power. In the name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen. We're dismissed, but we may just worship some too. I'm going to let the kids in and y'all do what you like.